So I was asking God, well, Lord, what, what do you really want me to share um, as to sort of prepare our hearts, to prepare our minds, to prepare us emotionally, uh, mentally ahead of this moment uh, in our nation tomorrow and the few days that pass. And I was really drawn to uh, Isaiah 6. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to that. Um, Isaiah 6. Um, I haven't got it on the PowerPoint. I've got some other pictures that will come in a bit, but we're going to go through it step by step. So even if you don't have a Bible here today, that's okay. You'll be able to follow along. And so to give us some helpful context uh, in Isaiah 6, it starts off um, 6 and we'll start uh, from verse 1. So Isaiah 6, and it says, In the year that King Uzziah died. And so that's the bit of context, and that was about 740 BC, so 740 years before uh, Christ. And King Uzziah had actually been a fairly decent leader. So this guy wasn't that bad. He ruled for actually a long time, almost 50 years. But he was a fairly decent leader in terms of the kings. But he did have one error that as he got on, he did lots of building, he defeated many people, he did get a bit of pride and a little bit too much. And at one stage, he headed into the temple and he thought, well, I know the, the priests are supposed to do all this sort of stuff, but, but I'm going to do it and I'm going to get stuck into burning of the incense. And as he did that, the priest sort of rushed in as he was about to do it and tried to stop him. But in his pride, it says, he did this anyway. And in an instant, leprosy broke out from the Lord on his head. And for the rest of his days, he lived in isolation as the king, but a king that no one saw. Because in those days, there wasn't treatment. And if you had leprosy, you were absolutely dirty. No one spent any time with you. And so he lived the rest of his years as king in isolation with leprosy. And his son, who, who later took over, was sort of the face of the empire at that point in time. But just so you know, that's, that's the king who has just died after his, his uh, period in battle with leprosy. And uh, Isaiah, although he'd been around at the time, this vision that he has now in Isaiah 6 was really the kickstart into his prophetic ministry in a great way. It really set the platform for what he was going to do and what God was calling him to. So it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So does anyone know who this person is? Who? Perfect. Mbappe, Bebe, hey, there's a bit of conflict here. So uh, he rose to stardom. He's obviously been a great player, but he really rose to stardom in the World Cup now uh, for France, which obviously they went on to win. What I love with this passage, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And what Isaiah is getting across, the fact, is that people die and God does not. No matter how famous Mbappe and Bebe is, and no matter how famous he goes on to become, he is going to die. He lives now, but he will die. Anyone know who that is? Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Money Mayweather. Um, he is the wealthiest paid sportsman of all time, and he continues to be year after year. He's probably also the most arrogant sportsman of all time. And uh, if you look at his Instagram or his posts, all they have is $100 bills, and he's famous for like doing like the bicep thing, and he's like holding up $100 bills, and, and that's what he does. That's, that's the epitome of his life. But no matter how much he continues to perform and no matter how much wealth he amasses, he will die as King Isaiah did, but God lives forever. Anyone know who that is? Mark Wahlberg. There's a few people who like his acting. Wealthiest uh, or highest paid actor um, at this point in time. Mark Wahlberg too. Lives now and he's a great actor. He too will die. Anyone know who that is? Emma Stone. Highest paid female actress uh, as well at this point in time. Same thing. Uh, she may be young now and she may act for a number of years, but she too will die. 
U2 and Bono. Still the highest paid performing artist to this day in 2018, year on year. So compared to everyone else that you'll see, U2 does it. But Bono and, uh, and his team, and they are getting older now, so they're getting closer to their death. Just as King Uzziah lived and did many great things, they too will die, but God lives. Anyone? Jeff Bezos, or Bezo, however you want to say it, wealthiest man in the world. The one who leads Amazon, amongst many others. Um, company. So that is Jeff Bezos, or however you say it, wealthiest man uh, of all time at the moment. So uh, he too, he has a lot of wealth, an awful lot of it. Many of us would like to have the wealth that he has. But he lives now, but he too will die as King Azai did. He did. One of the presidential candidates, president at the moment, presidential candidate for the follow-on, uh, no matter what happens tomorrow and the results ahead, no matter whether he is in power or not, he too, like him as I, will die and will face Jesus. He dies, Christ lives forever. The same as Chamisa. There's many others, 23 in the same age, but all of them are people. Different gifts, different abilities. But what Isaiah is getting across in this vision, it's people. People die, kings die, but Christ lives forever. There before, and he goes on, and he lives forever. First part, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. There's death, but Christ reigns supreme. Then look what he says here. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was a king and I was trying to rule over this earth, I probably wouldn't be sitting. I'd probably be running around and be like, oh my goodness, there's uh, all these fires in California. How am I going to put those out? And uh, oh my goodness, heat waves in England. They've never experienced heat like that. Those poor little white people. And they have, they've run out of sun cream and they don't know what to do. And they haven't been in the water. They don't even know how to swim. And, uh, you know, it, it's so cold. But what, what are we going to do? How are we going to protect all of these people in England? Um, and oh, oh, there's elections involved. And I don't know who's going to win, who's going to be in control in a week's time. What's going to happen? I, I mean, that, that would be us. If we were trying to control the billions of people in the world and everything that's happening at any one point in time from creation and what happens around there to people's decisions and people's actions, I probably wouldn't be just sitting. I just love it. I saw the Lord, hey, you can't even see me, I'm so short, sitting on the throne. That's what he's doing. Nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing is out of his control. He is in absolute, complete control of everything that's happening around the globe at one point, at the same point in time, in all of our individual lives, collectively in nations. He has been from time before, he will be in time past, and he is working it all out for his great purpose. He is in absolute control and he rules supreme, and he does that sitting. It's astounding. I hope it gives you this picture of a God of a king who is in absolute control and is absolutely confident of what he is achieving and the purpose he is bringing about. A king that we can place absolute trust in. Isaiah 45.5. I'll just quickly read this. One of the key scriptures on God's power and strength. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you or look after you though you have not known me. The, um, the men may know from the rising of the set to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light, creating darkness, causing well-being, creating calamity. I am the Lord who does 
all these things. This is a picture of a God that makes you sit back and go, Oh my goodness, he is very large and I am very small. Daniel 4 verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar, who was also a king. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Who lives forever, as we talk about here. For his dominion, his rule, his reign, is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation to generation. That's the king that we serve. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing when we compare to the king of kings. He does according to his will what he rules and what he reigns. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? It's just astounding when we think of the greatness and the magnitude of who God is. And it's so important that we get this before we head into an election time or a time where there are presidents and their rulers, where we get who the one true ruler is. Where we really get who's in control. Where we get the one who knows the future and who's in control of the future. Because that's most important for us. So in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up. High and lifted up. So, does anyone know that mountain? Kilimanjaro, well done. If anyone said Everest, I'd say, sorry guys, you have to find another church. Um, Because there's greenery. (laughs) There's some greenery around that time as well, don't worry. Kilimanjaro. So, it's it's the highest mountain Africa-wise, I think. Is that right? So good at geography. Uh, But there's many others greater. Now, it's just amazing when you think of that and you think of what people have to take to climb up that. Some people, because of how their bodies work, don't have the ability to make it the whole way up. Some can. And uh, we, we think of these huge mountains of people conquering Everest. And it's just incredible that that's actually nothing compared to the magnitude of God. It's absolutely nothing. And it's to such an extent that if you look at the Tower of Babel story, this is brilliant. The Tower of Babel um, and the people decide that they want to build a tower up to God. So they start, right? They're like, we're going to build something way higher than Kilimanjaro ever was. We are going to build up to the top. Come, let us make bricks. This is Genesis 11, if you're taking notes. And burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. It's top in the heavens, way higher than that. These guys had, had a, a real focus, that much bigger than any of the guys living in Dubai. So let us build a tower to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we're dispersed over the face of the earth. Now this is the best part. So they're busy building. And in Genesis 11, verse 5, And the Lord came down to see their city. Don't you love this picture? He's on the throne, and these guys are like, we are going to build the greatest thing that's ever seen. You get the picture of God going like, Babel, I just can't see it. Oh, let me just come down. I can't really see it the way. That's how small it is. Let me just pop down. Oh, there you guys are. That's excellent. The Lord came down. And these guys are like, we're going to build something higher than Kilimanjaro. You know, we, we can do whatever we, whatever we can. But the Lord came down to see them. Amazing. High and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Might have shown this before a long time ago. There's someone with a very long train of their wedding dress. Um, some translation would say hip. So that's probably the longest I've seen. You guys may be able to find a longer one. But uh, I've, I've had the privilege of taking a number of weddings. And you need to picture this. Because it says a train of his robe filled the temple. 
fills the temple. So you need to imagine that there's sort of a wedding ceremony, and we're here. You guys are invited. Well done. And uh, the the bride is coming. So she starts walking down, and everyone's just so excited. They, you know, as they are expectant and everything else. She comes out to the front. She's obviously got quite a few bridesmaids, and as they come in, they're sort of walking. And now we're waiting, and the bridesmaids keep coming, but the train of the the, the dress keeps coming. So she's standing here now. All the bridesmaids are here, and now they've run out of bridesmaids. So now other people start bringing in the train of this wedding dress, and it starts sort of filling up here, and it's like piling up to the top, and you guys are getting a bit bored, and they've played the song like 20 times, um, and we're getting tired of it. Then, sorry, we're like, sorry guys, this section is it okay if you guys leave? Because it is a space for you guys. Thank you. It's been great having part of the wedding for this part. And the train keeps coming in, and then it happens to you guys, then it happens to the others, and eventually there's no one except the bride and the train of her wedding dress. It's getting across the principle with God of His value, of His magnitude, that just the train of His robe fills the temple, the heavenly temple, as it were. Just an amazing picture of His magnitude, His greatness, His otherness. So this is Isaiah talking, and it's just like, I can't quite get over this. He's there, but just the hem, the train of His robe, it fills everything. And He's, he's struggling for words. Fills the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had, so, type of angel. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. So often we cover our face when we're just, like, we're just not worthy. We can't actually, either because of what we're seeing, we feel unworthy, or it's just so great, it's so blinding, it's so incredible that actually we can't look. So there's different contexts. But with two, this, um, the angel's flying, and uh, it's got six. It's got six wings. Awesome. Love to see one of those. Um, <laughs> With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And feet often also associated with, with sort of dirtiness or, um, or, or unworthiness. It's not usually the thing that when we meet with people, we're just like, hey, let's check out my feet. You know, usually it's the thing that we cover up. And uh, in the Bible times, it was like we're, we're going to wash each other's feet, which is a great show of service because they were dirty. They're walking around and getting dirty. So it's like, no, I, I'm not worthy to see this God, even though the, these are incredible angels. With two, he covered his feet. And with two... He flew, and they're flying around God, and what they're saying, um, that one calls to another, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Before we get there, when we think about angels, now you must look at this in 2 Kings 19 verse 35, that night, an angel of the Lord went out, an angel, the angel of the Lord, and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. That's one of these things. That's one. And they're very small. And of, Well, they're not very small, but they are really shy and are sort of going, this is, this is God. Can we look at Him? Are we worthy to see Him? And just one in an instant, 185,000 people. Poof. The army's done. That's an angel compared to the king of kings. God's angels Jesus talks and when he's, when he's talking about the cross and he says, but I could call down 12 legions of these angels to, to come and sort this out for me. That's legions. That's a magnitude. And one could take out 185,000 people. Mind-blowing. And even those angels are going, this God who we serve, this God who we call to, this God who we're in his presence in the temple, we're not even really worthy to look into his eyes. We're not even really worthy to be here with him. It's incredibly humbling when we think of the God 
that we serve. And they shout, holy, holy, holy. And actually, in the Hebrew, that doesn't make sense. So you would sometimes say two things to make something really amazing. So you would say, gold, gold, if you wanted something to be pure gold, the most amazing gold. You would sort of duplicate it. To, or if someone was fast, you'd be like, that person is fast, fast. It doesn't really make sense in English, but you'd use that in that terminology to, to describe how quick they were. Now, when you say three, it doesn't make sense in the language. And the reason why it's in there is really to show that God is of that greatness and that amount of holiness. He can't really be described in the, in, in the languages that we know. And so Isaiah is grasping for words. He's grasping for terms in his language to try and describe the greatness of this God. So he says, is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And uh, I'll steal just a little bit. We've got a few minutes left of um, just some of the pictures to just give us a, a size of the earth. And this is maybe a little bit of a movie video type thing. Um, so there's obviously earth uh, and Mars. And some of you guys would have watched the blood moon and seen all of that. Um, I think I watched the first little bit with Sarah and then we just decided to go see. And now we see, compared to other planets, there's the Earth down at the bottom. There's obviously Pluto, uh, Jupiter, one of the larger ones. And then we see the Earth and Jupiter, which we thought was really big compared to the Sun, which is a really big star. And I was talking to Leila Erin the other day while we looked at the sun. It was winter and the sun had come out. And, um, and she was like, Dad, if we wanted to go and see the sun, because it's just so nice and warm. How long would it take us to fly there? And is it nice? And what can we do there? We had this long conversation. I was like, well, actually, it's not nice at all, my God. Because we would, we would die pretty quickly. But isn't it amazing that from this far away, it gives us this warmth? And she was trying to get to grips with it. But there's the sun. And uh, obviously, there's the sun. Beautiful um, Milky Way uh, galaxy. and the, the Whirlpool galaxy, sorry. And then there's the sun which we obviously thought was really big, initially everyone thought it was really big as a star, but actually it's really, really tiny compared to some of the other ones out there. And that's the size of, the big size, the whole earth is full of its glory. It all operates according to order, the world in which we live in. Any closer to the sun, we die. As earth, any further away, we die. Uh, I mean, it's just absolutely in intricately done, but we can also go small in terms of the whole earth being full of God's glory. Everywhere we walk, when we're outside, they say we walk over the top of thousands of organisms. Any step that we, we take, and we kill some of them without knowing, uh, some of them we kill on purpose if we're kids, um, when it comes to ants and things, but th th they are all operating in this world and living, but the majority of the time we won't even know or see the things that we stand on every step that we take when we're out on a walk. And does anyone know what that is? So well done. I was a little bit worried people would take a long time um, to, to think through that. Quite interesting. And then what's smaller than that? Does anyone know? We can obviously go a bit further. So um, we, we, we get down to the smaller molecules, electrons, protons, um, atoms. And then does anyone know what this is? Quark. Well done. So quarks are, at the moment what they believe is the smallest uh, existing thing, but they actually say, we're actually not sure because it's got different weight entities to electrons and maybe there's actually something smaller, but at the moment we don't have the ability to see it, but they all operate in perfect order, absolutely perfectly in holding the world together. And I just love this concept that from the greatest to the smallest, the whole earth 
is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his order, of his creative power, of his arrangement. And we get to be a part of it. Absolutely astounding. So he has this picture of God's holiness, of God's greatness. And as as they're singing this, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke, smoke, a picture of God's presence, a picture of his glory. And there's a weight to it. So when they say glory, the word is kabod, and it's a weight. So when you think of the Israelites and the presence came down as a cloud or a pillar by night, there was something to it, something tangible to who God is and to his presence, the kabod, the glory of God. It's astounding. And when we interact with that, when his glory interacts with us, there's almost like a self-quake in our hearts, or at least there should be. Yes, an earthquake and the external ones, but when we come to grips with God's holiness, there should be a real shake-up in our hearts. There should be a shake-up. There should almost be a self-earthquake when we realize how small we are compared to his absolute greatness. And so what is the, the response in the last, the last two points before we close off? This is Isaiah's response. He says, woe is me. Woe is me is like a, in almost a fearful, but, but just like the angels, but worse. Oh my goodness, I should be dead. I should be dead when I come to grips with the greatness of who this king is. Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amidst a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king. How often do we have a sense of woe is me when we think about the God that we serve? How often? How often are we gripped by his magnitude How often are we blown away by the fact that we are absolutely unworthy to be in His presence, but for Him wanting us to be there? How often does that change and transform us? How often does that, as He says, therefore I am lost, I am a man of unclean lips. How often does God's holiness affect what we think about sin? From the big things to the small things. How often do we go, oh my goodness, Lord, The things in my life that I've done and that I do and that I have thought before are small and tiny. I realize that compared to your holiness, they are a big deal. And that I have unclean lips and I dwell amidst unclean people. Does God's holiness affect the words that we say, our attitudes towards people, music that we listen to, movies that we watch? God can't be in the presence of sin, but we treat it so lightly. And when Isaiah saw him, he realized that his sin and his life just couldn't stand in the presence of a mighty God. He sustains the world by the power of his word. He gives us life. He controls the world in which we live. He knows when we're born and when we're going to die. We're small and he's very big. And he does deserve honor and glory and praise. But when we see who God is, as Isaiah did, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Our response, if we didn't know about Christ and the story afterwards, would be of absolute fear of what was going to happen to me. But our response, which we see from Isaiah, is immense, overflowing gratefulness. You see, when we have a self-quake, when God invades our life, Our response is, firstly, woe is me, and then it's Jesus, thank you.
and that transforms the way that we live. And so that's God's mercy. Sorry, we did His holiness. Um, that's God's mercy that comes in. Now, verse 6, His mercy is that we don't die in His presence. And then God's grace. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, one of the angels, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And the altar and fire represents purity, purifying, being burnt up and uh, purification. They had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth. And he said, behold, Isaiah, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And it's just so great that we did communion now because that's the symbol for us of God's grace. That's him taking from the burning altar and purifying us by what Jesus did on the cross for you and I. God's grace is amazing, undeserved favor. We can't do anything to earn it. Nothing we do will live up to his highest standards, but because of his desire for relationship with the people he created, he paid the ultimate prize which we shared, the ultimate price which we shared this morning. So if we really get his holiness, we understand his mercy, we receive his grace as happened to Isaiah. The end response as we close and then I'll share a bit about our comments on elections is that we listen and follow his call. Because what God asks each of us to do is not going to be easy. It wasn't for Isaiah. It won't be easy for each of us. It'll only be achieved by his help, by his by his power and by his authority, but it's not going to be easy. And if we haven't first understood his holiness, first, second, understood his mercy, thirdly, understood his grace, there's pro- probably not much chance that we're going to answer his call. But if we've understood those, then it's actually a joy to answer his call. So look at Isaiah's response. And I've heard the voice, so after this has happened to him, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Great picture of the Trinity. Instead of who will go for me, who will go for us? One God interacting as three persons. And look at his response. Here I am, exclamation mark. It's not like, oh God, maybe. Asking me to love people I don't really love very much or be involved in church or give some money away. Here I am, full stop. No, no, he was like, here I am. Whatever you want, God, I'm there. Whatever you want to ask of me, I'm there. He says, send me. And this is the scary part. And God said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. The rest goes on. But basically Isaiah's call was that he was going to preach. And everything he says was going to be rejected. Wasn't going to be listened to. But it was a demonstration of the fact that people needed to turn to Christ. But he did it and he was excited. He said, here I am, send me. Because he had encountered the living God. And I can guarantee you that when you encounter the living God, serving him will be a joy. It's something you love to do because you've encountered the one who has saved us and transformed our lives. A relationship and intimacy with the living God, nothing can change that. Nothing's worth that. It's worth suffering all abuse, all lack of friends. He's worth everything. And the challenge is, is is he worth to us what he was worth to Isaiah today? This is why it's so important. Because as we approach elections, as we approach thinking about 
the saviors in our nation, thinking about what God's going to do, and we've been down this road many times before. What's so important for us to realize is that it's actually the king that Isaiah saw that is most important that we're serving him. The rest will sort itself out. But as Ian shared, if we're living out what he's called us to and we're bringing his kingdom on earth, that's the greatest priority. And so a few short things before I pray, as I think as we we head to the polls tomorrow and we think about what God's doing in our nation. Firstly, realize that Jesus and his kingdom is far more important than any president, ruling party or nation. Remember that and get that and have that deep down in your hearts that the king of kings is far greater, far more important than any president, ruling party, or nation. Second one, realize that he is your salvation and he is your sustainer. Realize that that is who he is and he is the one who does that, not others. Understand that God puts rulers in place for his purpose, which he will do. He uses us as people. We faithfully ask him for wisdom. We step out, we go and do it. But he's the one who puts rulers in place and it's for his purpose. And his greatest purpose is that his kingdom would come and many would come to faith. And that's what we need to pray. We need to be praying and saying, Lord Jesus, when it comes to the president who you put in place and the people who you put in place, may they be a people that allow the greatest advance of your kingdom on earth. And that may look bad physically. It may look great physically. But in the spiritual, what our prayer is, is Lord Jesus, may the person be in power that will allow the greatest outbreak of your kingdom that Zimbabwe has ever seen. That needs to be our prayer when we go. And when you ask for God's wisdom when you're voting, say, Lord Jesus, show me to vote for the people in different constituencies and the president who is going to bring about and allow and open the door to the greatest advance of your kingdom that Zimbabwe's ever seen. Because that is what we want to see in this nation. So ask him for wisdom when it comes to voting. Play your part. Jesus works in and through us. Pray for and support and encourage the leaders that God puts in place. I'm sure there'll be more from that in next week, if we've heard by then. We hope we have. And then what Mark shared as we sang, be hope bringers, be peacemakers, and be examples for Christ. Let's pray. I'm going to read a prayer as our closing one. This is a great prayer. You can just listen to it from Toza. It's an amazing prayer that I want to read out. And then I'll do a close off. So what he says, and you can, you can echo this in your heart. I come to you today, O Lord, to give up my rights, to lay down my life, to offer my future, to give my devotion, my skills, my energies. I shall not waste time deploring my weaknesses nor unfittedness for the work. I acknowledge your choice with my life. To make your Christ attractive and intelligible to those around me. I come to you for spiritual preparation. Put your hand upon me. Anoint me with the oil of the one with good news. Save me for compromise. Heal my soul from small ambitions. Please do that in our lives, Lord. Deliver me from the itch to always be right. Save me from wasting time. I accept hard work. I ask for no easy place. Help me not to judge others who walk a smoother path. Show me those things that diminish spiritual power in my soul. I now consecrate all my days to you. Make your will more precious than anybody or anything. Fill me with your power. And when at the end of life's journey, I see you face to face, may I hear those undeserving words. Well done, good and faithful servant. I ask this not for myself, but for the glory 
of the name of your son. Lord Jesus, I ask that we would be a people who live out that prayer. We pray ultimately as we look to this week ahead, which we know will happen, that your will would prevail, that your kingdom would come in greater measures in this nation than we have ever seen before, that you would use us as part of that process, and that we would be astounded by you as Isaiah was each and every day, that we would make an active daily decision to pursue you above anything else, to be part of what you're doing. Your amazing, precious name we pray. Amen.